Hi, welcome to Queerly a Podcast, a podcast where myself, Liz, and my friend Jackie, who is not here, um, talk about anything and everything queer. Um, I'm alone today because Jackie uh, is quite tired and we need to have something. We recorded earlier this week a really interesting podcast um, about the queer experience, but due to some very ridiculous technical issues, uh, that podcast is probably never being posted uh, because we can't edit it. So I'm here solo to talk about something that um, I absolutely love, uh, which is the HBO Max show Our Flag Means Death. Now, if you have been on the internet since um, about March, you may have um, encountered this show. It is a it's typically called the gay pirate show because that's exactly what it is. Um, it is a comedy show um, produced by HBO Max and directed and written by David Jenkins, um, executive produced by Taika Waititi, starring uh, Reese Darby, Taika Waititi, and several other absolutely brilliant cast members. It is um, an interesting combination of ensemble comedy and then a sort of main through line romantic storyline. And I just wanted to talk about how much I love it, how important I think it is in queer media and just how amazing it is to be in that fandom space. Um, it is something that I think has rekindled my passion for a lot of fandom interaction. I, I, um, am a Tumblr user. I believe I've mentioned that before. Um, but I, I never really interacted or produced or created fan content for anything. Um, mainly because I wasn't sure I'd be good at it. And also because I, I don't know, I never, it never sparked me in the way that Our Flag Means Death uh, has. So um, a brief sort of, I guess, synopsis of Our Flag Means Death is that it is based super loosely on a real-life actual historical pirate named Steed Bonnet, um, who was a uh, nobleman in the 18th century who decided to basically upend his life and become a pirate. Um, Some things about Steed Bonnet is that he was a slave owner. He was a rich white man in the 18th century. So he did exactly all the things that rich white men in the 18th century did. Um, That being said, the show is not meant to be historical and it is not a biography. And so it's mostly taking the concept and character of Steed Steed Bonnet and other famous pirates um, and using it to tell a story that reflects on toxic masculinity, um, homosexuality, uh, found family, and a lot of really cool and interesting um concepts and david jenkins is aware of the the historical background of these uh characters like steed bonnet and like blackbeard who is a major character in the show and i think part of the reason why it's told as the steed bonnet and blackbeard story not only because we don't really know why it happened the way that it happened and by that i mean and there are much better uh videos, podcasts, Wikipedia articles that go over this history, and I may be misremembering it, but essentially, the uh, Steed Bonnet, after being um, basically, uh, let's say, stabbed, stabbed by the Spanish Armada because he accidentally fires on a Spanish Armada ship thinking it's a merchant ship. Yes, this is actually what happened in real life. Um, He was that bad at being a pirate. Um he is basically rescued well 
he's not really rescued. His ship is taken aboard and commandeered by Blackbeard, who then just kind of lets him chill on his own ship as semi-prisoner, but mostly just a dude who lays around in his pajamas and is in basically recovery mode. It's not really super understood why he did that, why he just kind of let him vibe um, on... I mean, it was his own ship, but it was basically Blackbeard's ship now. Um, but... They, they had a really interesting and sort of mysterious relationship in this sense. Now, eventually, Blackbeard does maroon um, Bonnet's crew on an island. Bonnet is taken in, I believe, by the English. Um, and some other things basically happen. And they get separated for a little while. And then they, they, I believe, meet up. Or it is believed, historically, that they've met up on several occasions, potentially using um, aliases. So it, it's really interesting and you you kind of sit and wonder why this is and that was like the basis of David Jenkins starting and conceptualizing um, Our Flag Means Death. And so what's not, what's being explored there is that relationship but with the understanding that we're not really following the historical journeys of these characters. Um, and that's important, again I say it's important because the character of Blackbeard is really just what that is. Blackbeard himself, even though he was a real man, even though Edward Teach, that might not have been his real name, but was a real person, most of his persona and what we know about him comes from the myth and legend of uh, paper writers in Boston and up, up and down the coast of America. And, you know, the whole legend of Blackbeard, which is a legend of masculinity and of, of, of terror and violence. And so... David Jenkins here is examining that legacy and that legend and tying it to toxic masculinity in showing us Steed Bonnet, who's genteel. He's um, kind of a pansy. He's, he's very um, flighty and, and, you know, he's, he's a fancy boy. Like, I can't really say it other than that. Um, he has very strong sort of homosexual undertones as someone who likes sort of softer things, finer things, someone who's not into fighting, is into aesthetics and flowers, and, and he's well-read, and he's, you know, things that we don't really associate with, like, hard masculinity, and then enter Blackbeard, who is all violence and, and crazy and chaos and smoke and drinking, and he's, like, you, he's kind of put together as the opposite of Bonnet, when in reality he... he and what the show shows you is that they're actually quite similar. Um, there's a really great scene where um, Blackbeard is shown touching a piece of cashmere, um, basically to his face, like he very like he's having an intimate moment, feeling the texture of this really expensive fabric, something he might not have ever felt before in his life. And Steed just kind of goes over and asks him, "Is like, oh, do you fancy a fine fabric?" And that is can be taken either as coded language as, "Are you also?" like me and also just like oh this man's actually a lot more similar to me than you might think and um i think that that's really special and i think and people have discussed this before uh there's some great posts on both twitter and tumblr about this but how uh our flag means death shows queerness both explicitly and implicitly and and uses coded language that people have been relying on for like decades and almost a century in like film media and also having a love story be exactly what's being told like there's literally an episode called 
this is happening because it is basically the showrunner's way of saying yeah you know how we were all getting romantic undertones from the main characters plot lines it's happening and it culminates very beautifully in the final episodes of the season and so i'm not going to spoil it but um it's it it's a it is a romance it is a romance between two men and the show itself does not it does not stray from that it doesn't tease it out in the way that i think a lot of shows where um people get very into the the um queer pairings do they you know david jenkins basically said in uh post season interviews that he set out to make this a romantic comedy and a romantic comedy is what he made um and so i think i think it's really important another thing about the show and its queerness is that it doesn't just show a main relationship as queer it's not like two queer characters in a sea of straight people and it also doesn't just show queer characters as homosexual men and i think that this is really important obviously for representation which is something jackie and i talk about quite a bit um but it's also they're showing us different modalities of same-sex relationships or of queer relationships that do not necessarily fit into what we're told through media queer relationships look like um there are a, a number of queer relationships two of which are um probably the most visible um the first being of a character named aluande and a character named jim and jim is canonically non-binary played by a non-binary non-binary actor vico ortiz um and their love story is one that is very very clear to you from the beginning you can t- they're two characters who have known each other for an untold amount of time who have each other's backs who ran away together and joined bonnet's crew because of this bond that they have um and they don't it's like one of those things those like that delicious trope of like they both are in love with each other and neither of them like know how to make a, mu- a move and they're not sure if the other person is um and when when it does happen it, it's beautiful but it's a queer relationship because Jim is non-binary and Alawande, it's not, we're not told like Alawande is this, that, or the other thing in terms of his sexuality. And so their dynamics are super interesting because we rarely get to see like a presumably um, cis character, cis male character in a relationship with a non-binary character. We never get to see non-binary characters that often anyway so it's super interesting and theirs is a relationship that is so loving and has also a very interesting um sort of concept of of like found family and also like letting each other go and then coming back to there's um there's a song by uh glenn campbell called gentle on my mind that i think like encapsulates their relationship um and the song basically is like Glenn Campbell always is thinking of this one person who they know they can always come back to and there's no like they're not bound by marriage they're not bound by having financial responsibilities but he can always take the time to think of this person and come back into their lives and they know that they love each other and that love is so strong that they can leave each other for um, a long enough time and still be in love and so that's that's another kind of amazing relationship and it's obviously it's not necessarily the main relationship because blackbeard and bonnet are like our main characters but it's something that is like kind of a b b plot 
arc that we see through the first season and that will develop through the subsequent seasons. Um, another relationship is between Lucius, who is the, um, how do you explain him? He's the ship's boy. What does that mean? He is basically a scribe um, and takes down the captain's log. Um, and he's like very obviously a gay man. Like he has a little ascot scarf and he's like generally like fruity very like swishy and and confident and sassy and you're like like he's a very sort of common portrayal of a gay man using all of his body language to sort of uh telegraph to the audience that he is gay um and first of all that's something on its own which is amazing not because a he's not the only gay character in the show we get to see multiple variations of a gay man um but he's also like he's confident about it and when a character tries to make him feel bad about it to make him feel bad about his sexuality to make him bad about the fact that he's um very sexually uh hmm he's very sexually free he he is someone who doesn't seem to be necessarily bound by um other people and he just enjoys it um and he tries to be shamed for it, and yet the, the the show tells us, no, he will not be shamed for it. This is not a shameful thing. Um, and then he also is shown in a relationship with a character called Black Pete, who is like, you would think this paragon of machismo, he's he's always trying to be boastful. He In the first episode, he dismisses sewing as women's work, which if you're on a ship, you need to know how to sew. Like, if you don't know how to sew and fix a sail, you're useless but I digress. Um, but he's kind of sold to us initially as this really sort of masculine or at least faux masculine machismo chauvinist kind of guy. And then we're seeing later on that he is entering a relationship with Lucius and there it's a legitimate relationship. It's not, um, it's not in the sense of they're just two guys on the open ocean and they're bored, but rather that Black Pete actually like loves this man and is in a relationship and people would not, I personally did not look at this character and say, oh, that's going to be a gay character. But, you know, he's stupid and boastful and likes to, like, lie about his achievements, but he's, like, also a version, like, he's also another gay character, too. And so um, it really kind of goes against stereotypes and shows the audience that there are different types and different manifestations of gay characters and gay relationships. Um, there is... I think something to be said of the lack of female characters on the show, but they're not exactly lacking. The thing is, is that we, the focus is on a pirate ship that is staffed typically by a male crew or a nearly male, all male crew. Um, and that is something that is historical that doesn't need to be. And as I think it's also something that with the characters that the first season is working with, it it makes sense, right? But when there are female characters, they're absolutely amazing. Um, my favorite being, um, well, I have two favorites. My first favorite being Leslie Jones's character, not only because she's conceptually fucking amazing, um, she's like this amazing bar owner, she lives in the um, Republic of Pirates, which, by the way, if you didn't know that, it was a real place uh, around the Caribbean. 
Um, she lives in the Republic of Pirates. She owns a bar. Um, she has like 20 husbands. She's just absolutely amazing. She wears this amazing sort of prince crushed velvet um, maroon suit with these tall, tall boots and this big sort of flouncy, lacy uh, cravat. And she's just gorgeous. And she's Leslie Jones, so she's like literally gorgeous. Um, and she has this amazing confidence to her. Um, but it's it's not like an overconfidence it's just like a she's she's old she's tired of this shit and she like knows what she's about um she's an amazing character and we get to see more of her than i initially thought um which i'm very happy about and she's she's also i mean she's played by leslie jones i keep saying that but it's important to me because if you're someone who has been following leslie jones's or has has seen leslie jones um on like saturday night live which is where she you know she spent a, a solid long while as a cast member her the way she was utilized i personally feel wasn't always uh something that really showed off her strengths or showed variety in her talent and as spanish jackie she's actually really she's much more subtle than i think snl ever gave her credit for and i think they played into the fact that her comedy did include her being quite loud and quite impassioned but i think that that ended up turning into like the loud angry black woman sort of even when they were on the on like on the nose with it and they were like self-referential with it it still to me came off as like but you're still doing it and her role as her name the character's name is spanish jackie as her role as spanish jackie in our flag means death she gets to be like a powerful woman you know in in the like traditional sense of the world like word she you know is good with a gun a knife she's like scary but she's also she's not loud she can be quite chill and sort of quietly scary and quietly intimidating and i think that that's something we never really got to see from her in other roles i'm sure it could be that she had many other roles i i am not someone who has the who has seen a lot of things Leslie Jones was in, but like my basic understanding of it is that like she never really got to be as subtle as she can be, and it is an amazing performance. Um, another amazing female character is um, Mary Bonnet. Uh, Mary Alambi Bonnet was a real woman. She was married to Steve Bonnet um, in what sounds to me like the unhappiest marriage of all fucking time. Um, Historical accounts will basically say, like, Steed Bonnet left to become a pirate because he hated his wife. And I can't comment on the wife, <laughs> the historical Mary Alambi Bonnet, but I can at least say, like, yeesh, that's, that's rough. Now, the show does not necessarily depict that as history depicts it. History kind of seems like, the way at least that it's discussed in, like, historical texts is that it's, like, Steed Bonnet hated his nagging wife, and so he decided to have a midlife crisis at, like, 25 and buy a boat and become a pirate. Whereas the show presents it as something more complex and one I think that is way more relatable, which is, like, someone who has been trying so hard to fit into society's standards and under and society's sort of boxes for a person and knowing that you'll never be able to fit into those like the only the only way you can really survive 
and live the life that you want and need to live is by leaving. And so um, Mary is an excellent character because she is technically like the the jilted wife, the woman who was like left to kind of pick up the pieces of the family after her husband does something that is seriously quite selfish even though in the end it's a better choice for all of them he just like up and leaves um and mary is great because we get to see what happens to her we were shown um in the later half of the season exactly what she's been up to while steve was out failing at being a pirate um <laughs> i say failing because well if you watch the show you'll see but um she's amazing like she builds a life that she likes and she she takes charge and she's she's literally shown as a woman who's like 200 years ahead of her time and so she's just depicted as this artist and everything about her um in when we when we get like basically catch up with her is designed to to be reminiscent of like the like mid 19th century um arts and literature movement um and like the way she dresses she dresses she wears um a black uh sort of cravat style tie she wears like very simple minimalist colors um that are masculine or menswear inspired for like the time that they're basing it off of she's an impressionist painter she paints figures for she paints all sorts of things not just from real life but also just like complete like abstract um, and all of these things are things that are reminiscent of, like, the mid-19th century. She's quite literally a modern, or at least not a modern woman, but a woman ahead of her time. And that includes her being proud of the relationship she builds after Steed leaves, her being proud of who she is, how she was able to move on from her husband, and not just become, like, basically a widow, because they assume Steed died. Um, and that, like, that is such an amazing way for this the story to be told i think because we get so invested in steve bonnet as the main character because he's a great main character to follow he's not a good he's not necessarily a good person i think like bearing in mind the show is all about pirates um which are at their core people who used violence and intimidation to take items from merchants even if they were like assholes or even if they're stealing from the british navy like totally i i totally am cool with that but historically pirates were never really good people i don't think that there is a history of like pirates who were fucking cool you know but we spend this entire series watching the story of steve bonnet and see him like figure himself out and gain confidence as a person and be able to like fit comfortably in who he is and not who society wants him to be and then we smash back to mary who's already got all this figured out like once steve left she immediately seemed to have known like this is my fucking life and i'm gonna do what i can with it um and like we're given sort of her answer to to steed's stupid moves and it's so much better than just her being like the nagging wife who like was seen as someone who is just like who, who wouldn't even be thought of i think by other writers 
who maybe even if she was shown, she would just be like devastated at the loss of Steve. When in, in fact, she was actually like, no, this is something I can work for, like that can work for me. Um, and like, she's super great. And um, yeah, other female characters that um, show up but don't have as big of a role include Evelyn, who's one of Mary's friends, who's just, she's so cool. She's got a leopard. She wears an eye patch. She's just amazing. I want to know everything about her and more. She's great. Um, and then a another um, character who is actually this... Uh, I don't remember if she has a name, actually. But uh, in the series, you, you'll meet a nun. And she's absolutely amazing. She's... I, I actually don't even want to talk about her that much because the episode that she shows up in um, is something that people just have to watch for their, their own. But she's... A, she's a nun and she's great um so yeah like the show itself has so many great characters with so many interesting characterizations and that was just like i didn't even go through the entirety of the ensemble which is also just people who are hilarious um and just have amazing senses of of not not only like comedic timing but just like improv too when you hear about the behind the scenes like the way that, yeah, of course there was a script that was written and, and lines that were written down, um, but also just like improv moments were added in. Um, there were just like scenes that apparently went for a long, long time and got cut. Um, you may or may not know if you're someone who's seen the show and have been active on Twitter, you may not know what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just like an amount of talent uh, to this show and, and the heart that goes into it, um, is another thing that, like, makes me like it so much. It's not just that it's a great representation of queer, <clears throat> sorry, of queer characters and an examination of toxic masculinity and of homose and, like, what it is to be, like, I guess, finding yourself. Um, it's also, it's funny that it's a, uh, it's a, it's a story about finding yourself starring middle-aged characters. We, like, most of the time, narratives about, like, coming to know yourself and, like, finding yourself out, those are marketed towards, like, young adults or, or teenagers because we are told, for whatever reason, that people go through a period of change when they're, you know, aged, like, 10 to, like, 20, and then apparently they're just supposed to, like, be immutable and stop changing and figuring themselves, or they're supposed to know who they are when, like... In reality, we all know you can never really truly know yourself. And especially for queer people or for people who have been trying to fit themselves into boxes that they just can't fit, that they physically cannot fit into, it's even harder because they have to basically work from the ground up with who they are. Um, and in a setting like the 18th century, like they don't necessarily, they don't have the resources that we do. Um, there's obviously, there obviously were queer people at, who are interacting with each other and queer communities in the 18th century as there have been queer communities throughout history. Um, there's actually some uh, really interesting books about um, like uh, about like homosexual men um, like male communities in like uh, 18th and 19th century England that I, I, I would like to read eventually. Um, so I can't quite plug it because I haven't read it but um, th- obviously there, there's texts going as back to like ancient times about same-sex relationships. It's been there, but it's, it's obviously a different place. Like you can go, 
on the internet now and type in like you can find whole websites dedicated to like figuring out or like finding queer resources and whatnot and therapists who will work with you and and just friends people like the internet is so accessible and so helpful in that regard to people who are trying to figure themselves out whether they're queer or not um and so it's really wonderful to see both a kind of coming of age story or like a figuring yourself out story starring middle-aged people um but also a romance that's starring middle-aged people a lot of the time especially i think in queer romance we're focusing on young queer relationships or relationships with an insane like age difference power dynamics that get involved with that like uh, call me by your name it just it's yes it's great to have more queer um stories and it's i'm happy that that's something that can be popular for people but it also idolizes this idea that a young gay man should have a sexual like the sexual experience a young gay man will have with an older gay man is one that is absolutely rife with power imbalances and this does not show that um we are seeing two like middle-aged like men who are almost like approaching 50 basically finding themselves for the first time and having a fulfilling relationship and going through not only like figuring themselves like out that they like love somebody feeling what love is and then also dealing with like all of the issues that come with trying to have a relationship with somebody um i'm again i'm not gonna go into spoilers but like it's not just like you fall in love and then everything's hunky-dory right like things happen and this show is going to explore those things in a way that's going to be so so interesting and the real life steve bonnet and blackbeard were not as old as the actors portraying them steve bonnet was like 25 maybe slightly older but he was in his 20s and then uh blackbeard was like mid 30s maximum like they were both like what we would consider to be quite young um compared to taika waititi and reese darby who are both uh i think 48 ish in their 40s almost 50 as i said and so it's really great to see that kind of sort of new relationship and when i say new i mean like new to them like this is a feeling that it's clear neither of the the characters have felt before and they're only feeling it in their like middle age and it's cool because that's how life works out sometimes not everybody can figure out a that they're gay at like a young age and or like figure out what it is they like in a person or find maybe not true love but find love um as soon as they you know reach an age where it's appropriate to start dating like i think that that is so cool and not something we typically get to see um finally i just want to talk about the reason i love our flyman's death so so much is the enthusiasm that the cast and crew and writers and everybody involved has for their fans and the fans return that in 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 spades um the fact that the show uh the last episode came out march i want to say 27th or 28th of 2022 and there was a constant constant call for a renewal announcement from hbo max until the renewal announcement came out in june on june 1st so for months people were retweeting fan art and hashtagging renew our flag means death and basically like begging hbo max to renew the show because 
there was like a very real chance it wasn't going to be renewed. The show was hardly promoted before it aired, um, despite the fact that it had Taika Waititi on board, which I think gets a lot of people really excited. Um, in my opinion, Taika Waititi is someone who, his work may not always be perfect, but it is something that always has an interesting idea attached to it and really heartfelt sort of moments in between the comedy. Like, I can see for people, maybe his comedy is not for everybody, but he, like, really knows how to get, get to the heartstrings. I think you can even get that at, like, even in, like, Thor Ragnarok, which is, I think, ridiculous and fun, still has a kernel of, like, I don't know, emotion and sentimentality to it. And um, I think for that reason, like, he's an exciting name to see on things. And he'll attach his, his name to projects that I think can really use the hype that he can build. Um, again, like, Reservation Dogs is a Taika Waititi-produced uh, venture, and it is something that is so... So first of all, so fucking funny. And second of all, um, just like so important to have. It is one of a handful of shows about Native American um, people in the United States. It is one of a handful of shows that can that portrays with accuracy Native Americans who are living currently in the United States as as opposed to Native Americans in like a Wild West scenario. Um, and it's just it's 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 excellent. The actors are excellent. The, the show, it's excellent. Um, but like, I think people are more keen to watch it when they see Taika Waititi's name attached because he has so many projects that people loved and they're like, well, I gotta get, you know, I gotta see this guy. You know, he, he put his name behind it. He's, it must be good. And it is. Um, and so like, even then the show didn't really get that much promotion i think maybe hbo max was just relying perhaps on the name taika waititi or that they just didn't really care about promoting it they probably were just like people are going to watch this if they want to and then you know it'll be the way that it is i i don't know how tv works enough to really understand the thought process behind that because you would think that if that's your project that you're putting money into you would like to see it be successful and the more successful it is and the more seasons you get to make, the more money hopefully you make through other opportunities to, to like sell extra things, right? But I digress. Um, there was such an intense sort of momentum behind the renewal uh, focus on Twitter and on Tumblr and across the internet. And part of that was like fueled by the interactions fans would get back from the cast and crew. Like, Alex Sherman would be posting behind-the-scenes pictures and videos, like, almost daily, basically. Samba Shuta, or Shoot, I don't know how to pronounce his name, um, who plays Roach on the show. He is, first of all, he's so fucking funny and s- seems like such a genuine guy. He's also a baker, and on the show, he's the, um, he's the ship's cook. And so he created a recipe for a, um, 40 orange cake now it doesn't actually use 40 oranges but it's 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 a cake that is referenced by name in the show um and people took his recipe and so many people made this absolutely delicious looking cake i haven't made it yet but it's something i definitely want to try and now we're at like 800 cakes made like people are making cakes because i like a show so much like that's wacky that's crazy um and he would like he has 
now if you go to his instagram he has whole sort of like photo grids of like every cake made even if they look absolutely wacky he like the dedication he has to like documenting the work of and commending the works of fans is amazing con o'neill who plays izzy hands on the show he also is great at like reblogging fan works and reblogging no sorry retweeting fan works and like building hype around the things fans make and he seems highly appreciative of the people who are like becoming fans of not only our fucking death and his character but of all his other work too which is um by what i've seen excellent um and it's like oh we're also getting these actors who are like maybe not even big like like maybe he's big in britain but not really anywhere else and they're finally getting their day in the sun um and so like that enthusiasm is kind of creating a loop of like love that's like quite infectious um christian narn doesn't do a, a ton on twitter but um he's always like tweeting that he's grateful when a, a big push happens nathan foe did a, like an instagram live with him that was like really funny and really fun and just like everyone being so i don't know everyone being so excited to engage with fans and engage you know and come back and talk about their experience on the show was so exciting i think one of the people who have been doing the most um has been vico ortiz as i said before um they played Jim, and not only is it great to just see a super sort of vocal non-binary person um but they absolutely love their character they <laughs> they are on tiktok they are often like um like doing videos where they're going out and buying st stuff that has oranges on it because their character has an association to oranges and now everybody and their goddamn mom has this one button down i have the shirt too from old navy that has oranges on it um and it's like <laughs> they're also showing how much of a fan they are like they went to a ren fair and cosplayed as izzy hands they're on the show and they cosplayed a different character from the show at a ren fair not as a promotional thing not because they were doing a meet and greet but because that's just something they wanted to do like it's amazing it's amazing when talent and people who are working in the sh show business are fans of the things that they're doing and can be like active or like interact in fandom as a fan and also as um like as a talent or as as a person who's in the industry um that kind of dovetails to what i hope is sort of my last point um is that I uh, saw Reese Darby tonight in New Haven as part of his uh, his sort of kind of short, odd tour. Um, you've seen my stand-up, now see it again. Um, it was like kind of, it seemed semi-impromptu organized by his wife because his son is doing college tours, um, which I only mentioned because I find it really cute that um, his son is looking at colleges at 16 and going through the exact same thing that I went through like six years ago or whatever um and just very very cute like i don't know there's something about high schoolers like doing the big grown-up thing i find adorable um and obviously it was a great deal of fun um i saw so many shirts that 
of those damn orange button-ups. Like, um, the opening act was uh, Steve Wrigley, who is a comedian also from New Zealand and Reese Darby's friend. Um, and he's, first of all, he's um, fucking amazing. He needs his own comedy special, like, pronto. Very receptive. He's gr- his audience work is absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> but he was like, I need you to buy stock in these shirts. And uh, he does. And I think everybody does. Because, oh my god, so many shirts. Um, but what I was saying was, uh, the, sh- the show was amazing, and seeing Reese Darby live was amazing. But the, the point I bring it up here is, is because... At the end of the show, he um, he he gives his goodbyes and then he says, uh, "See you all for our flag means death season two. Um, and he he didn't necessarily have to say that, like, because I mean they're they're gonna start sh- shooting season two first, which again seems almost like a miracle because we were all sh- we were all so unsure if it was going to be renewed, just like a month ago basically. Um, but he understands like. A lot of his, the reason people came out to see him is that we were all like kind of chasing the hype of <laughs> our flag means death. Um, perfect timing. Um, and the fact that he seems so equally excited to be able to go back and like work on a show that we all love and we all love him for um, really made my day. Especially because he's the lead. And if you're not someone who's familiar with um, Reese Darby's like uh filmography or or his career is that he doesn't often get leading roles in fact i can't really think of anything in which he actually has a leading role i mean he's a voice actor so he he does he does sometimes have like a voice role that allows him to to have a little bit more screen time but a lot of the times if you see him he's part of an ensemble or he's just like there for a little bit um places you may have heard or seen reese darby include Infinity Train, he played a water being called Randall, um, Voltron, he, now I can't remember the character's name, but in Voltron, he was the elf guy with the mustache. If that rings a bell to you, congratulations, you probably know a lot more about Voltron than I do. Um, he was in a series of unfortunate events, the Netflix series, for like two episodes when they were at the mill. Um, he was in Wrecked as a character called Steve, who was, again, part of an ensemble cast. Like, he's so he's such an excellent comedic actor and very, very fun to watch. And it's why I've been following his career since basically 2014, but he rarely gets to be like a leading man. I mean, he's obviously the star of short poppies because, uh, which is a New Zealand based television show, um, where it's like kind of, um, it's like, like an anthology where he plays sort of every character or like every main character, um, and each show is like focused on a different character. Um, it's an it's an interesting format. Um, obviously, he's the star there, but like he really gets to be a leading man type of role. And so everyone's excited to see him in. And that's the reason I started watching Our Flag Means Death in the first place was because I saw Reese Darby's name attached, and I was like, holy shit! He never we never get to see him like in a main role. Yeah, you know, like most of the time I've seen him in things, he's in snippets or, or scenes like, uh, in Hunt for the Wilder People, he's, he has a cumulative screen time of maybe like 20 minutes, maybe, maybe not even, um, and so like, people are so excited to see him, and he is in turn excited for people, you know, 
to be seen, I guess. And I don't think that comes from like an ego <laughs> thing. Um, I don't think I implied that, but I don't think it does. I think it comes more from like, this is, it's almost as if it's a collaborative experience. It's not quite, but the idea that people's enthusiasm so affects the actors in the roles that we love to see them in I don't know there's something like kind of beautiful about that and artistic about that that I really appreciate so yeah coming kind of down from (laughs) that high of seeing him live which by the way he does have amazing legs if people were concerned about that uh no I can I can guarantee you in real life they're they're they look as good as they do on screen um hair too his hair is amazing um (laughs) Yeah, I I just, I really appreciate everyone involved with Our Five Means Death. I think that, um, again, like, the crew is also amazing. David Jenkins is so amazing, and you can tell so thoughtful. Uh, A funny anecdote, even though I said I was going to be done, um, that, again, if you're not familiar or if you haven't seen it, in one of the interviews, David Jenkins didn't, didn't know what, didn't really know what queerbaiting was, and he when uh, our flag means death was first coming out and people were first like around i think episode five or six before it was really kind of confirmed for people that oh yeah you're watching a pirate rom-com right now um a gay pirate rom-com uh people thought they were we were we were all being queer baited like that you know they were going to like use um the chemistry between the two actors and some of the flirtier scenes as like a joke material as like something to laugh at which if you're someone who has been uh, in fandom spaces or like in media spaces or queer in general, uh, you know, happens kind of like too often for comfort. If you're any, if you were anywhere near the sh- like Sherlock during like 2013, 2014, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I think people really thought like, oh, we're going to get like maybe some like winks and nods or it's just going to be like a haha, isn't it funny if two guys are into each other, that sort of thing. But no, instead we got like a legitimate sentimental and beautiful like piece of queer media. And David Jenkins was like flabbergasted at that. He like completely didn't think it was, it was a thing that it was going to happen, that people weren't, that like people weren't going to like fully understand that this was a legitimate thing happening and part of me is like oh bless his heart bless you david jenkins for not thinking that that was going to be the case but also like man we really gotta like we really gotta be i don't know not vigilant but like understanding that like this is the norm in media the norm is that we get cheeky little winks about people being potentially queer Or we get queer characters who die unceremoniously for one reason or another, and no one gets a happy ending, and that's the norm. And the fact, that's again why I think there's such amazing, ridiculous, and sometimes quite scary fervor over this show, is because it it, it is giving us a heartfelt, sentimental, comedic, interesting relationship that is not meant to be focused around how hard it is to be a gay person, or how how sad it is to 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 be um, rejected by society, but something that is just people being able to be in love and figure themselves out. And it's not that that's not ever challenged or shown to be an issue, because it is, because even if it's not a historical retelling of the life and times of Steed Bonnet and uh, Blackbeard, it is still acknowledging of its um, setting, 
like racism and the fact that slavery was fully active is also acknowledged um and i think that it's like equal parts historically accurate when it needs to be and also escapist when it should be you know um because even though it would be more historically accurate to sh to point out all the awful ways people might have been treated and how the awful things that may have occurred it's also um, more poignant, more interesting, and generally more entertaining to just be like, okay, we all acknowledge that these things happen, but they need to fall by the wayside to tell this story. Um, and yeah, I am obviously a fan of the show, so I am going to be more defensive of the way that the story is being told. Um, and I'm mostly responding to issues with the fact that the real life, um, Blackbeard and Steve Bonnet were they were bad people like again awful awful people no one should the fact actually I don't even want to bring it up because it's just that shitty um but again like I stated like basically at the top of this episode the historical sort of context is something that is being used um as a to make points and to like kind of discuss things that I think if it were completely fictional might not have been discussed or might not have come across as as well as it could have i mean you also want to talk about like what fiction like pirate fiction is that most pirate fiction is based off of treasure island which is based off of real people um even though the main characters are uh fictional so yeah that's kind of a maybe not super necessary defense of the setting but i think it's like important and super interesting when media plays with real life you know when media plays with history and the way fiction and history and historical fiction all can kind of blend together and be sort of wild and wacky um i think a smarter and person who like understands media studies better than i do probably can make a finer point on that but uh i'm, I'm gonna leave it there um so i'm going to wrap up today's episode um I'm really sorry Jackie couldn't uh, join us. I uh, really, I love talking to her and I hope everyone loves hearing us talk to each other, even though I gotta say, I don't think we've had that many episodes with us talking to each other, um, but we just wanted to get something out and, uh, you know, she got like three episodes. It's my turn. Um, so if you want to get more of this podcast, we are available on all uh, podcasting platforms that you can think of. Um, you can also go to our RSS feed and just like pop that into your favorite podcast hosting app. Um, we are on Twitter at queerly a podcast, I believe. Um, and we also have a website that is still kind of being worked on, but, uh, it's, it, it's functional. Um, I just want to say, uh, I, oh yeah, I just want to acknowledge also, um, the past week or so of, of real life news and happenings. Um, is something that Jackie and I both really take seriously and um, are kind of mortified by. Um, and this is kind of a space where we get to talk more about media and about things we like and things that make us happy. Um, but it would be remiss to not acknowledge the Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade um, and the subsequent decisions made um, kind of on the docket that have also sort of, that will have 
awful and rippling effects across the United States, including rulings on the independence of um, Native American uh, reservations and Native states, um, rulings about the Environmental Protection Agency. Um, There's so many kind of awful decisions that this court has made that are frustrating to hear. Um, And as many have pointed out, in online spaces that this is not just like a miscarriage of democracy but this is exactly the way that the supreme courts were designed by the people who the minority who wanted to stay in power and it is absolutely frustrating to watch a supreme court do this and be told just go out and vote just support president biden just go out and you know sign a petition like people are angry people are scared people are frustrated and i think you know we here at Coelho Podcast just want to show our solidarity with everyone feeling this way. Um, I don't have any real solutions to offer other than um, look up your local um, uh, family planning services, abortion services, um, offer sort of support to your loved ones who might be affected by these rulings, um, and look up other ways to like give to um, Native American um, charities, uh, like reservation charities and I don't know like (laughs) it's all a little overwhelming I guess so um I guess as a sign off I just want everyone to stay safe uh try and decompress um yeah good night (laughs)